Welcome to another Early Learning Matters podcast. My name is Jackie Ward and I'm the Early Learning Coordinator at the New South Wales Department of Education. And today I'm joined by Nick Burgess, Principal of Tacoma Public School and Sarah Wenham, Assistant Principal at Adamstown Public School. And today we are talking about one of my all-time favourite topics, uh, play-based learning as an age-appropriate pedagogy in schools. So I'm going to ask a little um, question, I guess, um, or have a little chat first of all. But welcome, Nick, and welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jackie, for having us. Awesome. So I guess a little bit of scene setting here is, you know, looking and, and thinking about that play-based learning as a well-known concept in early childhood settings, but not necessarily as common or as well-known or as even well understood, I guess, in the in the school space. So I thought it might be good for me to sort of set the scene a little bit and then ask, ask you guys some questions. So first of all, you know, learning through play is one of the pedagogical practices of the earliest learning framework and therefore it makes sense that early childhood audiences might know that a little bit better. So we would expect to see it in early childhood services, um, but it's, again, it's something that that is not as common in schools. So what I'm really interested to sort of start the conversation with both of you is what was it that sparked your um, interest and engagement in this form of pedagogy or this practice? Sarah, would you like to go first on that one? Yeah, thank you. So I have two daughters, um, both had the same experiences, both went to preschool, I found my eldest daughter transitioned to primary school beautifully, um, textbook textbook transition, but my youngest daughter was more challenging and I felt that it took her nearly the whole year to feel really comfortable and really settled in a kindergarten environment and it wasn't because she had an awful teacher, it wasn't because her mum wasn't at the school, we're all there together. And I had a hunch, so similar to Helen Timpley's framework of a spiral of inquiry, I was like, there's something going on here and I don't know what it is. So I spent time talking to the local preschool educators and going in there and watching what they do and showing my underbelly really and saying, I need help. Despite having taught kindergarten for a very long time, something's going on and it's not just my daughter. And that's when I had an understanding through of how the, the brain works and develops and why we need a play-based play -based learning in the classroom because she just wasn't ready. She wasn't ready for a lecture style of learning. She still needed to play. She still needed to learn through concrete items, through experiencing something for herself. And it wasn't just my daughter. It was a lot of little people that needed that experience. That's awesome. Thanks, Sarah. I couldn't agree more. It's a really important thing that seems to have kind of gotten overlooked over time. Um, I think that's, you know, the way I went to kindergarten was a, a little bit more play-based. And what about you, Nick? Would you like to share sort of where you came across the um, the interest, the idea? Yeah, sure. Um, I too had been in kindergarten and doing lots of trans transitions for many, many years. And then I was lucky enough to take on a role for a term of the Peter Two Initiatives Officer um, in district office. And I was introduced to preschools that I was looking after. And um, I had a lot to do with the early years learning framework. And all of a sudden, the penny just dropped that we were approaching everything in kindergarten transition and indeed kindergarten itself um, from the point of that 
we were using the wrong pedagogy. We were all about the the children being ready for school rather than the school being ready for them. I saw the students playing and learning through play and the huge um, chasm of difference between the settings of the preschools and then what we expect them to do and how we expect them to learn when they come to school where it still very much is teacher at the front of the class and everybody sits down in lines and listens. Um, I was really reminded of how very unfair it was developmentally to our four and five-year-olds who are starting school. Um, they're just not ready and in fact it's damaging. Um, when I was in the uh, aspiring principal's learning program, I had to have a focus and that was engagement, children's engagement in their schooling because we know the research tells us that life outcomes uh, are far better for our students if they're engaged in school and they actually finish school. So I just took it all the way back to kindergarten and I thought, mm. what if we can engage our kindergarten and year one children more effectively, um, then that could make a bit of a difference you know, all the way through at the end of their schooling. So that's where I came from is um, when I first became a principal, I was like, right, I'm going to introduce play-based learning in kinder and year one. And, yeah, we haven't looked back since. I agree yeah. with you on that one, Nick. Um, we're a really big advocate that we've got to get it right in kindergarten. We've got to get it right in preschool and kindergarten. Waiting till year four, waiting until year nine, it's too late. Mm -hmm. Why start then? You get it right straight away because we'll see that have a knock-on effect for those later years of learning. Definitely. And those department-wide sort of measures, I guess, of of the strategic outcomes and goals usually, you know, further down the track. But I couldn't agree more. If you have a really positive um, start to school, then all of those things are more likely to happen. And I think it's that's something we really need to call out early in this podcast, that play-based learning in schools is not only a really positive experience, but it also reflects the theory about how children, you know, like it's developmentally appropriate for children birth to eight to be engaged in those concrete materials, their natural researchers, their, bra their brains have plasticity and they're capable to hold multiple thoughts and windows open at the same time. So actually think differently and process learning in a different way. So I think, you know, I would love to hear some of the examples of, you know, what you've seen in terms of the difference it made at your schools when children are, you know, learning through play. Nick, would you like to go first on that one? Yes, definitely. Well, we've put a lot of time into understanding that play-based learning recognises the importance of communication and language, which leads into early numeracy, early literacy concepts, as well as social and emotional development. And I think in today's day and age, um, our kids are coming to school with less um, social and emotional, and we're having to do a lot more at the later end of primary. And again, what we were saying is if we can um, get these kids to, um, developing as far as they can in their early years, the better it will be for their life outcomes. Um, as I said before, it's so important that we are ready for the child rather than they be ready for us. Um, we notice in our school that our kids who have experienced play-based learning have much better communication and collaboration skills, and that has actually resulted in less central entry. So central is the data collection for behaviour uh, tool that we use, and it's we have noticed that over time there has been less central entries for 
things where kids are squabbling over, um, you know, certain pieces of equipment or just not playing with the rules of the game. We have very few entries for kids around that area, which I think is definitely supporting play-based learning because the, you know, the teachers are consistently and the SLSOs are consistently facilitating play. We have also seen um, the strengths of some of our younger students who actually have a diagnosed learning disorder thriving in experimental play. So giving them those opportunities in the playground at recess and lunch as part of our Loose Parts Play program um, and discovery play within the classroom um, has seen such little people take on leadership um, roles rather than being the kids who are labelled as um, not doing so well in, in reading or not doing so well with counting and their numbers, they're seen as these people who are actually constructing solutions to tricky things like leveraging kids going uphill in in cardboard barrels and things like that. So it's been just so good for the kids who sometimes can't access curriculum but are actually really great thinkers and, and have great mathematical minds. Um, so they're two, two, two examples why we see that it's absolutely vital for our kids really in kindergarten and year one, possibly even to year two, that they are being exposed and learning through play. Awesome. Thank you. And I, I'm, I'm reminded of a quote from a colleague of ours where she often says, you know, engagement trapes trumps behaviour and that idea that children are, you know, really engaged in some thought processes and, you know, like there's obviously a lot of literacy and numeracy and all sorts of KLAs that are happening, you know, key learning area um, content that's being covered in these play situations, but children are really engaged and I think it makes it a fun place to learn for teachers and children then too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Sarah, can I throw to you for your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. We have found that by setting our classrooms up to be a similar environment to a preschool setting, the children are automatically engaged when they come. So they come in, they think, ah, oh, I want to be here. This is where this makes me feel safe. I'm familiar with this. This looks engaging. And so we've found that that's had a huge impact on our attendance. And we see that a lot in our early years. Our attendance is phenomenal because children want to be at school. It's engaging. It's fun. And what we know, as I mentioned before, is that we know that that children, their brains aren't ready to sit down for a lecture format and that it's structured that they have to have the experience first to develop those new neural pathways. And we've found that our students respond best to those concrete experiences, hands-on, investigating for themselves, and then they transfer that information to a new abstract setting because they've got that prior knowledge. And they've also been in, a, in an environment where they've been safe to take risks. So for instance, in our classroom, we have a cafe set up and we use real cups and saucers. And at the beginning of the year, we'd find that the children, are, say, for instance, are doing those string-like letters, drawing pictures, having to work on that communication skills of taking turns, asking what, what I as the customer wanted, listening, recording what I was saying, repeating it back. And then because they'd had that confidence in that play-based setting, they were then comfortable to apply that knowledge to a more formal writing session later on in the day or later on throughout the year because it was safe. We've done this before. We can see how that information transfers over. 
And so um, it's engaging, it's fun. That's awesome. And a really nice segue, I think, into our next point, which is, you know, that notion of continuity of learning. And for me, this is a real um, area of passion at the moment, because I think if we can achieve for, for children, if we as teachers on, and educators on both sides of early childhood and school can create this continuity of learning where children experience similar pedagogy, they ex- experience similar learning environments, then they're more likely to have that really strong start to school that we want to achieve for them. And the evidence base shows in that space that when teachers and educators in both are uh, spaces early children school understand the pedagogy and curricula mm. the similarities the differences um, then children are much more likely to be afforded that experience of continuity and that building on their prior knowledge and understanding so it's a shared responsibility between the two spaces so you know I think without this children's transition and I wasn't I'm not sure if it was Nick or you Sarah or both of you have said that you know really abrupt change between Mm. what learning is like in early childhood and then what it's like at school it shouldn't be so different. Um, Have you got any thoughts Sarah that you'd like to share on that one? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, my daughter was still in her preschool environment about a week before she started kindergarten. And I say, for instance, I was picking her up from preschool where she was cooking her own sausages on a fire pit, swinging from a trapeze net, built her own skateboard ramp, and then transitioned to a very formal setting where all of a sudden she she had no autonomy. She couldn't determine any of her learning. Uh, she was told what she could and couldn't do. It was very structured. She was expected to sit in a little plastic chair for hours. And that's when I thought something there's something amiss here. So what I started doing was I reached out to our local preschools, not just one, Um, about six and said, can I please come and do some team teaching with you? And so I went into their centres and they were doing amazing things that I thought, why does this stop? Why does this stop all of a sudden when we get to kindergarten? I can actually take this and I can actually embed this into my classroom. So I'm just going to just, you know, again, seg into the um, point that I think it was you, Nick, made about the, um, you know, syllabus requirements and syllabus outcomes through play. So one of the biggest questions that we get in our business unit is from schools is about how do we meet those NESA requirements in terms of teaching um, time across all key learning areas and, you know, that the the play experiences are not, it's not just you just sort of, you know, throwing it out there and, and children are just playing. They're actually quite intentional, purposeful planned experiences to ensure that syllabus content is addressed and the outcomes achieved. So how does that planning for play-based learning incorporate specific att- intentions um, for you guys? Would you like to go first on that one, Nick? Yeah, sure. Um well, I'm going to mention probably something that's the most exciting thing is that our new K-2 syllabuses have been written. I know the maths one was written, a lot of the activities were written by a P2 initiatives officer, so that's a really great thing and it's very play-based and it's very inquiry-based. So we're stepping in the right direction there. Look, we really do have a big responsibility as we move through primary school um, to make sure we hit outcomes. We that that are stated by Nessa and by the New South Wales Department of Education. However, a lot of the content that is required in kindergarten is very easily for 
for particularly for other KLAs, key learning areas, is very easily um, incorporated within a carefully constructed play centre. So I know people have to trust in play is research-based, it's best for our kids, and that the content, we can, we don't have to teach content by sitting kids down and telling them something and then getting them to write a picture. We can set up learning centres. If you're, we're talking about our school environment, for example, every afternoon may be a little mini walking excursion to a different area and playing in a different area and discovering what's on the oval and what's behind the oval and, you know, all those kind of things. We don't need to be sitting in the classroom. And I think it's really thinking you do have to think outside the box because realistically, if we looked at all of what we're required to teach um, in kindergarten and year one all the way through to year six or year 12 for that matter, it's almost impossible to get through it all. So we do have to teach, for example, a lot of the time we teach a lot of history using, you know, using English as a vehicle. So it might be choosing a really beautiful quality text to be reading and then let the children respond in that way. And it might not be just like you're going to draw a picture or whatever. It might be through drama or through a dance or through creating something using blocks or Lego or sand. So, for us, we look at the outcomes that are we're expected to cover in certain terms, and of course, now with the K to two, it's a little bit different because we're we're just on that journey. But we then look at the outcomes that have similar kind of, um, I guess, that we can throw into a, together into a quality. Uh, learning centre or a play-based experience. So it's about having time at the beginning of the year to organise. So you, there needs to be time. So as a principal, I need to make sure that I'm giving my kindergarten and new one teachers a chance to look at all those outcomes and those experiences and for the beginning of the year, how they are going to have those available in the classroom and how the teachers can facilitate that learning through play. But then as the term goes on, we need to look at what the children's interest levels are. So, for example, we, as I said, have a lot of Aboriginal perspectives. So we might have read a book to them or listened to a story um, that then we might actually set that up the next week in a writing centre or in an art centre or in a science centre if it's something about um, the the amazing way our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders used to um, used to live. So we 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 very much follow what the children are interested in as well, um, and then we just really think outside the box and say, okay, how are we going to set this up in our classroom? We still do explicit teaching in our classroom. We still explicitly teach phonics, and we still explicitly teach um, you know other aspects that we have to. But what happens is is we don't the whole morning for example in english isn't just around drumming things into the children it might be small groups that the that the teacher is um working with and then they will go and play but those play based learning centers or experiences are all set up around literacy but often with a history focus or a geography focus so that's how we 
cover it. It does take organisation organization, and you really do, we found having a Peter to Initiatives person to help us with that really helpful. Um, and you need to have people who are really willing to think outside the box and also give permission to say, okay, we're giving this a go and then see the benefits of it as as it comes. Oh my gosh, we just didn't actually cover this outcome. We covered these outcomes as well because they were writing and they were creating and they were talking and they were sharing and they were collaborating. Um, so a lot of things come from that, you know, from, from different centres. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. It's an integrated approach and it's it's about, you know, we, we talk about in intentional teaching and intentionality in the early childhood space and it's very much about that idea that sometimes you might use a range of different strategies within the play to achieve those um, learning outcomes. Sarah, would you like to share your experience in this regard? Yeah, I think it's just a reminder that play isn't separate to learning mm -mm. and it's it's the natural way we all learn. And so initially at the start of the year, um, we don't even put our kindergarten students straight into classes. We let them play and we observe them. So it's very student-centred student, student um, play. So they drive it. So we may have um, areas set up within across the classroom. So we open up all the doors and we may have um, different centres opened up and we watch them where they naturally gravitate to and we hover around and we listen to conversations that's taking place, watch what they like to play with and we often watch them build on something for weeks where they'll pull it down, pull pull something apart that they've been using 3D objects to create a to create a palace and you see them pull it down, recreate, put it back the next day, get it down again because so, they're doing, going through a, a system of trial and error. This didn't work. Okay, well, I'll add this on. And while that's taking place, we actually have got, we, we created a performer to have our centres, uh, what would be having at each centre, what would be looking for from our students, how would we assess them? Would that be through talking? Would it be taking photographs? Would it be just through observation? just in those, in, in those early couple of weeks. And then from that information, that's how we set up our classes, looking at relationships of who worked well, who didn't work well, knowing what they like, knowing what they don't like, knowing what they're willing to take risks with, knowing what is frightening for them. And then we move through, and as this is what Nick said before, my team, it's us being uncomfortable and stepping outside the box and going, all right, um, this is what we've got to teach. This is the content we've got to cover. How can we program and plan to ensure that children have an opportunity to create sense of this abstract idea? How can we do that? So, for instance, we might be reading a really rich text with really rich vocab um, about using the words bobbing, float, dive. Then that afternoon we get out or straight after we get out the big water troughs and we get out toys and we listen to them and they're saying, oh, my ducky's bobbing, my ducky is um, skimming across the water. So we create opportunities for them to play with those ideas that they've learnt in um, an explicit situation so it goes from being abstract to concrete um, and that's what we do we just plan that we sit down we look at our literacy we look at our numeracy and go all right what opportunities can we provide to allow children to play with this concept that we've given to them 
Um, and what would that look like? How will we know that they've got those ideas? What would that look like? Is it me listening? Is it me taking photographs? Is it me having a conversation? Is it coming back and sharing in a circle? All right, we're going to go outside. We've learned about 3D objects. Now we're going to build a ganya. And that's what the Awabiko people built in this area. How can we make a ganya? And listening to them negotiate, take turns to build a 3D object from using sticks and branches um, and then watching them do that because there you are, there's your math, there it's happening there, there's your PDHPE, making, making relationships. It's all happening in one spot. It doesn't have to be in a classroom where children are quiet and I'm at the front, I'm telling you what to do, you're going to repeat it to me. It's letting go of control. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I love the fact too, Sarah, that you shared that idea. It's a great platform for assessing learning then, isn't it? Because you've got multiple opportunities to understand, yeah. to know whether or not, um, you know, this child does understand that concept or does have that skill. So it's a really... And letting them take a risk to show you and to show you that this information can be shown in many different ways and through rich questioning, well, can you show me how you can do this another way? Or if I took this part off your palace, what do you think would happen? So it's uh, it's changing how I teach. It's it's not about it's it's not about me. It's about this little person. So I have to change what I'm going to do to get best outcomes for this child. Well, that's a really nice segue into our next point, which is that play-based learning is an ideal opportunity for differentiation. So that idea that you know, if a child, you know, doesn't speak any English or, you know, um, maybe high potential or gifted, you've got lots of opportunities to do things in a little bit of a different way. Nick, would you like to tell us with some of your experiences about this opportunity? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I definitely touched on the little boy before who has a, um, a literacy disorder, a, a language disorder, who just absolutely thrives and shines in more mathematically mathematical thinking and that has actually been amazing because as I said he's seen he's seen to his peers as a leader so that builds his self-esteem and sense of belonging and um we we have two little beautiful kids with um quite high needs as far as autism and, and very very um, low communication skills when they first started with us. And one of the most beautiful things for them is that um, they also obviously engage in everything that we do. But because it is very much student-led, they can once again choose those activities and, and get what they need. So if they're drawn to the blocks and they want to create something there, they're actually improving their fine motor skills. Um, they're communicating with whoever is at at um, the blocks at the moment, they've got both got SLSOs because they are funded. And that's um, on a side note, really important that SLSOs are trained in play, oh, not trained, but know about play-based learning and know that they're there as a facilitator rather than, a you know, they don't problem solve for the kids. They facilitate rich conversations and, and help them through challenges. So, Basically, these little people are about to go into year one and their communication skills, their language has absolutely thrived and blossomed um, as well as their ability to share and take time, you know, know that they have to wait and take time. So play based, I just don't believe they would have thrived the way that they have this year in a mainstream classroom that didn't do any play. 
I think um, we also follow the launch, explore, summarise model, which is um, what our new K to two syllabus is actually um, starting to do in mathematics. And that's when we launch a problem for these kids and we say to them, this is the particular um, issue that we have. And then we let the students explore that whatever way they want. So if it was something about, um, it might be about measurement or volume. I'm actually using an example that we had in year two and we have um, big big mathematics trades and, and they are usually with groups or they can they can do that alone if they wish to, but they can use, if they want to work it out using paper, they can. If they want to use water, they can. Um, if they want to use blocks, they can. If Whatever they want to use, they can use. And what it does is on that Monday that we particularly run our lesson like that, which is really inquiry-based, um, and basically for our K1, K1s, it's pretty much how they run the classrooms. But we see what each child is bringing and, and how they're problem solving and how they're coming up with a solution. And it gives us also a very good idea of how they need to differentiate for the rest of the week to actually teach that skill so or teach that concept. Um, so, but straight away, we're not putting a ceiling on kids. So one of the big things with our school is not just teaching to the middle. We've got, we we really need to identify our, our, our high-performing kids and really push them um, and letting them explore themselves. It actually gives them opportunities to, if they've actually found it too easy, then the teacher facilitates another problem or makes the problem more complex. So that allows differentiation in itself, which is allowing your clever kids to actually access that really high level mathematically thinking, whereas the teachers can also see the kids who need a little bit more help in basic concepts that may still need to use a lot more concrete materials to actually solve those things. So those 21st century skills that we've all been talking about for the last 10 years, you know, creativity, collaboration, um, communication, all of those things that our kids are going to need. They don't need content. They can look, they can Google content. They need those things to be able to exist in the world as it as it is today and as 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 it's going to become. So for us, play-based learning in those early years particularly sets the kids up with such a strong sense of who they are and what they're good at and and how they can help other people and how they can take turns and get along with people. Um, that's just setting them up for success. And the really big thing too is engagement and um, making sure that they're actually engaged with the activity that's happening. So, yeah, you, you cover so many. You cover kids who we've also got a little boy who um, is Japanese and speaks very small amount of English and um, he's just thrived as well because he's had opportunities to engage in play and, and find out a lot of these words on his own and um, through the teacher facilitating opportunities for him with um, you know, setting setting him up with, for example, some kids who have great vocabularies who are introduced because he's a clever little boy, introducing him to lots of different words. He's also grown. So, yeah, it, it covers all bases. <laughs> That's a really good point too, Nicole. Uh, Nick, I often say, um, you know, and critical thinking is the other one I was thinking yes. of as well. A play, play-based learning approach in school really allows for all those 21st century skills. So. Absolutely. Um, Sarah, would you like to share your thoughts on this one? Well, look, 
it's for everybody. Play is inclusive of everybody. Um, there's opportunities for children to play on their own. There's opportunities for them to, as we mentioned before, to work collaboratively. There's opportunities for children who do not communicate verbally to engage with others. There's opportunities for those who are EALD. Uh, we have a little post from Russia and he's come in and through playing with the costumes and the puppets, he's mimicking. He's mimicking and copying his peers. And often, I often like to think that his peers might be explaining a situation better than me. So the language that they're using, they're thinking is age appropriate. So they're unpacking a situation for this little boy better than, better than what I would. So they're learning from their peers. And as you mentioned before, I remember last year I asked a little boy in my class, and what would you like to be when you're a big boy? And he said, I'd like to fix robots. Mm. And I thought, yeah, the jobs that my kindergarten students are going to be doing when they're my age are not the jobs I'm doing now. And so sitting and being a critical and creative thinker, being able to self-regulate, being able to take on a leadership role and also being part of a team, being able to take a risk and think, hey, this didn't work. How can I fix this up? I'm going to have another go, building on that resilience. So all those wonderful, strong strengths that we need for our children to be successful in life. So play offers all of those opportunities to everyone. Yeah, I love I love that. Um, what you've inferred there, Sarah, is that that learning is a shared act. It's a shared responsibility, and that's a really nice thing to create at school as well. Which you don't always get that in a more traditional approach to teaching. You know, it's sort of you, you're in your own chairs and you're in your own space. So I think mm. that's beautiful. Mm. I'm going to wrap us up now, just to sort of say, I guess you know, like what would you sort of like what. What was anything that you'd like to share about, you know, what do you think the key shifts are that you needed to do in your schools or how did you communicate with families or what were, what are some of the things that you'd like to sort of finish up on in that regard? Um, Nick, would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah, I think that education is really important um, that, you know, when we communicate to our families at the beginning of the year that we learn um, kindergarten is a play-based environment, especially for our new families, um, but we explain what it is. So we don't, they also have an expectation of school is, oh, you're going to help and teach, you're going to teach my child how to count and read and write. Um, so we are very clear in saying that whilst we follow play-based learning, we also explicitly teach the things that we need to, but we actually show them. So we explain in our transition programs what it looks like and we we do say, um, even though it's very similar to what they're doing at preschool, it's also um, involving the syllabus and, and even, you know, in play, aged age-appropriate um, experiences for them. It's definitely something that you need for me as a principal. I've needed to put money aside or time aside for my teachers. So um, not just money, more, more I should say resources. So for me, I will always make sure that my kindergarten and year one teachers are not on an afternoon duty, for example, um, so they can have time to communicate about the things that they saw during the day, um, perhaps outcomes that they 
saw that that the children were engaged with that they didn't plan for. So just so it's a bit of a reflection time and they can write some notes, I guess. Um, So evidence of learning, I should say, Um, and also tapping into local preschools when the kids are there and at play often after school, it's a bit late because everyone's a little bit tired and it runs a little bit differently. But having those great relationships, like Sarah was saying, with your local preschools and, and making sure that your leadership team in kinder and you want are getting around to those places. So it's definitely something that you need to um, do a little bit of research around. However, it's also very easy if it's something that your school is looking to do um, is to start even the day by just letting the children play and have a v- wide variety of things open um, and dipping your foot in that way. Um, and then rather than starting with that really um as Sarah said, the lecture style of classroom and um, just seeing how how much more settled the children are and how happier they are, but communicating with your staff as well, just making sure everyone's on the page, same page because it's actually, it is, it's a challenge for teachers running a play-based classroom. It's not um, to the rest of the school, they're not sitting down playing in the sandpit. They're doing so much more <laughs> with their students and, um, you know, with, with all of the kids in their classroom at different things. So there needs to be a really big understanding that um, it's not for the light hearted not for the faint-hearted I should say it's um definitely requires you to dig deep and and be brave um but you know what that's what teaching is all about we we have to take risks and we have to be courageous to be the best for our kids and this pedagogy is the best for our little babies so it's something we all need to do that's awesome thanks Nick what about you Sarah yeah, so as I mentioned before, it's for us, it was about relationships and trust. So um, us and my team being seen regularly at the local preschools and the local educators being seen regularly, like each week at our school, parents could see that there was a relationship and mutual trust was happening, um, that they could we, that they could understand that and be on board with us. If anything, our numbers at our school have increased significantly because parents want this from for their child. They want them to feel supported and to be known before they start school. The other thing that we do is we use a really amazing um, online communication tool, very similar to what preschool educators use. So our parents get to see an insight into their child's day every day. So we will upload content so our families get to see learning is taking place. Sometimes it is more of a traditional model. Sometimes it is a play-based. Sometimes it's a mixture of the two. And that they see that they are accessing information and building on their knowledge in a way that is best for them and best for their brain development. So they have that insight into their life every single day. We also let our families know each week my team, bless them, we all get together every Friday afternoon and we sit down and we do a video together, which we upload to our families, explaining what we're doing in the classroom and what that will look like and what the outcomes are. So our families are a part of our journey the whole way from the minute they start school until the end of the day, they know exactly what's happening in the classroom for their child. So it may look different to when you're at school and that's okay. It may look different to how your older child was doing kindergarten, that's okay. They're accessing information, they are learning in a way that is best suited for them. 
That's a really good um, and nice point to finish on, I think, is that, you know, really clear communication and taking everyone on the journey. I think that's always a key, isn't it? Yes. Making sure everyone's well-resourced, well-prepared and, you know, the messages are communicated across the board. Well, I'm going to say that I've absolutely loved this conversation. I think it's going to end up to be quite a long podcast, but I think <laughs> everyone will enjoy listening to it. So thank you, Nick, and thank you, Sarah. really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Mm-hmm.